Welcome to today's audio podcast, a sermon teaching from Grace Bible Church of Akron. If you enjoy the teaching ministry of GBC and would like to enjoy more resources and weekly updates, we hope you will visit our website at gbcakron.org. Please take a moment to let us know how this ministry is impacting your life by emailing us at info at That's I-N-F-O at gbcakron.org. Also, if you would like to support Grace Bible Church, you may do so by visiting gbcakron.org forward slash giving. Thank you for listening and enjoy the podcast. So much for being here at Grace Bible Church. We, for the last several weeks, have been looking at the life of Joshua as figuring out what it means to be brave in a life that's full of battles. And that's what life is. Life is a battle. And I'm not just talking about battling for the things we want. I'm, I'm talking about the battles between good and evil, uh, between righteousness and wickedness, uh, the, the, the spiritual battles that take place in our life and uh, how it impacts our thinking, how the way we feel impacts our morality, the choices that we make. Life is a battle. It's a battle. And to follow the Lord with bravery, to live for Him, uh, requires bravery. And, and here's what you know, I've learned along the way, and, and it is it's simply this. When it comes to living for the Lord and living for Him uh, bravely, we can either choose to be courageous or we can choose to be comfortable, but we can't choose both. We can't, we can't have both of them. And I, I wished I could stand here and tell you this morning that there is a courageous, comfortable way to follow Jesus. And there's not. There's either a courageous way or we're just choosing to be comfortable. And many times we're not following the Lord at all if that becomes uh, the goal or, or one of the, the priorities of our life. And we've seen this Uh, as we've looked at Joshua. Uh, Because for him to follow the Lord and do what God had asked him to do, it required a lot of bravery. And there wasn't a whole lot of comfort in it. And the same holds true for you and I as we follow the Lord. We're going to see that this morning as we look at this passage together in Joshua chapter 10. And it starts off, it says, Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem, heard that Joshua had captured and completely destroyed Ai and killed its king, just as he had destroyed the town of Jericho and killed its king. So it's interesting. Um, A lot of people don't know, but Jerusalem, the city of Jerusalem, existed before the nation of Israel existed. Okay, in the Bible, the city of Jerusalem existed before the nation of Israel existed. And so what's happening here is Joshua is moving into the promised land. The city of Jerusalem is already there. And it is now uh, the, the, the king of the city of Jerusalem at this time has heard what Joshua has done. He heard about their victory at the town of Ai. He's heard about their victory at Jericho. He's heard about the treaty that Joshua has made with the Gibeonites. He's heard all this stuff, and he's alarmed. He's concerned. And notice what it says he does. It says he also learned that the Gibeonites had made peace with Israel and were now their allies. And he and his people became very afraid when they heard all this because Gibeon was a large town, 
And the Gibeonite men were strong warriors. So King Adonai Zedek of Jerusalem sent messengers to several other kings. And he said, come and help me destroy Gibeon, for they have made peace with Joshua and the people of Israel. So these five Amorite kings combined their armies for a united attack. And they moved all their troops into place and attacked Gibeon. And the men of Gibeon quickly sent messengers to Joshua. Don't abandon your servants now, they pleaded. Come at once, save us, help us. For all the Amorite kings who live in the hill country have joined forces to attack us. Let me remind you what's going on here, especially this relationship between Joshua and the Gibeonites. The Gibeonites, it is true, they did make a peace treaty with Joshua and the uh, Israelite army, but that treaty was made under the guise of deception. And it was discovered that the Gibeonites had lied to Joshua, and when that was discovered, Uh, The Bible tells us in Joshua chapter 9 that the people grumbled against Joshua and other leaders. And in fact, they they were saying, hey, let's go kill the Gibeonites. They lied to us, so let's just go wipe them out. Let's kill them. And Joshua said, no. No, I I made an oath to them, a promise to them in the presence of the Lord. They lack integrity, but that doesn't give us permission to lack integrity. And so he he would not allow that to happen. And now we find this treaty that he made with the Gibeonites is kind of coming back to bite him. And you know, I, I think a lesser person could have looked at this situation and said, I'm just going to stay out of this. I mean, I know, Joshua could have said, I know what I told the Gibeonites but they're under attack, and I'm not there, and I could drag my feet in getting there. I could just choose not to go. They lied to me. I could just kind of let events unfold and stay out of this. But that's not what Joshua did. Joshua is following the Lord. He made an oath. He has a treaty with these people, and he's going to fulfill that treaty. He could have rationalized and said it's not worth it. But that's not what he did. And it leads me to this first observation, kind of where I want us to start thinking this morning as we read God's Word, is that when we are committed to following the Lord, failure is never fatal. Listen to me very carefully. In fact, I give you permission this morning. If you don't hear anything else I say, hear this. Okay? When you and I, when we are totally committed to following the Lord, failure is never fatal. Never. Joshua made a mistake with the Gibeonites. He failed with them. He was not supposed to have a treaty with them, but he does. And and now now they're crying out for his help. They're they're calling out for him to fight a battle that really wasn't his battle to fight. But because he's in a treaty with them, and because he's wanting to honor the Lord with his life, he's going to respond. 
But too many times what happens to us in life is that it becomes our failures that turn into our crutch. And we think that because we failed in the past, that we can't move forward. And how can God possibly use failures to bring about victories in our life? Joshua was going to have to fight all of these armies anyway. These five kings that united together to attack the Gibeonites, Joshua was going to have to fight all of them separately, or he could fight them all at once in one battle, which is what God was arranging through from what Joshua's perspective was a failed relationship with the Gibeonites. And so this is what the Bible tells us happens next. Look at this. It says, So Joshua and his entire army, including his best warriors, left Gilgal and set out for Gibeon. Do not be afraid of them, the Lord said to Joshua, for I have given you victory over them. Not a single one of them will be able to stand up to you. And Joshua traveled all night from Gilgal and took the Amorite armies by surprise. Sometimes when we fail, we don't believe that God can turn things around for us. Cherry and I, we had a friend, uh, a couple friend in California that were really good friends of ours. And she had an affair, and got caught in that affair. And I remember sitting with her in my office, and she was crying and upset because her husband didn't know yet. And I was sitting there telling her, you're going to have to tell your husband what has happened. And she looked at me and she said, he'll leave me. He'll take the kids, and he'll leave me, and our marriage is going to be over. And I looked at her, and I said, you need to give this to the Lord right now, because you don't know what he's going to do. You you need to give this failure to the Lord, and give God some space to work. It was just a few minutes that her husband arrived at my office and he came in and sat down and she told him what had happened and he was upset. He did get angry. But before he left the office, in front of me, he looked at her and he said, with God, we will make it through this. And you know what? It was a lot of struggle for them. I'm not going to tell you it was easy. It was a lot of counseling, a lot of uncomfortable things they had to go through, a lot of uncomfortable things they had to talk about. But you know what? They're one of the happily married people I know today. I know another guy who who owned a multi-million dollar business. He was making uh, some really poor decisions. Uh, financial decisions, and that business eventually it collapsed, it, it fell away, it went bankrupt, it cost a lot of jobs to a lot of people, it hurt a lot of folks. 
And he sat down and he talked with me and talked about what a failure it was, how he's going to lose everything, how, how it was all over with. But he committed right then and there in that conversation. He said, but I will give my, I will give this to the Lord. I will start over with the Lord. And it was just a few weeks later that he was meeting with some other businessmen and they were talking about their businesses and committing themselves to the Lord and to help each other as they continued to build their businesses. And you know what those guys did? They made a commitment to each other and to the Lord that each of them through their businesses over the next several years would give a million dollars to the kingdom of God. And you know they did it. Each one of them individually gave a million dollars through the growth of their business to the Lord. See, failure is not fatal. And Joshua and his army is learning about this. But just because failure is not fatal doesn't mean that life isn't really uncomfortable sometimes when God takes our failures and turns them into a victory. And that's what's happening in this passage. We're told here that Joshua, he's got this this mistake of a relationship with the Gibeonites, and they're calling for help, and we're told that immediately he responds. And it says he, he got his army together, and they traveled all night from Gilgal and took the Amorite armies by surprise. When we read that phrase, what you and I don't understand is a couple of things. First of all, this was an unexpected march that they were having to make. Whatever it was that they were planning to do, that's not what they got to do. This was an unexpected thing that was thrust upon them. It was an all-night, uphill, multi-mile march to take on an enemy that was much larger than them. All of that is pretty uncomfortable. And I think it could have been easy as as they were marching all night long up that hill, those several miles to to face an enemy that was rested and much larger than them, that it would have been easy for Joshua to kick the dust and say, man, if I just hadn't made that mistake. If If I hadn't made that mistake, I wouldn't be having to do what I'm doing right now. It could have been easy for Joshua to say, I can't believe this is God's plan. I mean, come on, God. I asked you to forgive me for what happened with the Gibeonites. You said you forgave me. Now, if you forgave me, why am I having to march through the middle of the night uphill with my army to take on someone that is way larger than we are and is rested and they're ready for battle? And I think that's what happens to a lot of us sometimes is that we begin to look at the failures in our life and say, I can't move forward. I can't believe God's in this because, well, I I failed and I messed up and now I just got to pay for it. I just got to pay for this failure in my life. And God God can't turn it around. And God can't do this because if God were going to turn it around, it wouldn't be this uncomfortable. It wouldn't be this hard. And that's not how it works. God can use our failures to bring about great victory in our life. But it's been my experience, and if I'm understanding what the Scriptures are telling us here, is that for those victories to come, we have to go through some uncomfortable things in following the Lord. Notice what happens. 
They marched all night. The Bible goes on to tell us the Lord threw them, that being the Amorite armies, into a panic. And the Israelites slaughtered great numbers of them at Gibeon. Then the Israelites chased the enemy along the road. As the Amorites retreated down the road, the Lord destroyed them with a terrible hailstorm from heaven. The hail killed more of the enemy than the Israelites killed with the sword. So what we're seeing here is that God acts on behalf of those who trust Him and obey Him. They marched all night long uphill to take on an army that was rested. And when they got there, God threw that enemy army into a panic. And as they begin to fight that battle, this army, this Amorite army, in their panic state, they begin to flee. And as they were fleeing and running away from the Israelites, a a hailstorm came. And strategically, only the hail hit the enemy army. It didn't hit any Israelites. Everyone there in that battle knew that God was fighting the battle. I can only imagine how discouraged the Amorite army must have been as they were running away from the Israelites, watching large stones of hail, ice, I guess it was ice, falling from the sky, hitting only them. And not anyone else. God shows up and he helps his people, but that's not it. Notice what else happens next. On the day the Lord the gave, on the day the Lord gave the Israelites victory over the Amorites, Joshua prayed to the Lord in front of all the people of Israel. That's important to remember. This is not some little private prayer where Joshua was kneeling down behind a tree or a rock somewhere asking God to do something. He says this prayer in front of everyone. And notice what he prays. Let the sun stand still over Gibeon and the moon over the valley of Ajalon. So the sun stood still and the moon stayed in place until the nation of Israel had defeated its enemies. The sun stayed in the middle of the sky and it did not set as on a normal day. Here's what you and I need to know. The Amorites worshipped the sun and the moon. So, if you can imagine with me for just a moment, they're in the midst of a battle. This Amorite army is in the midst of a battle. They're getting defeated. They've just seen hell fall from the sky, only hitting them. And they begin to pray and cry out to the sun and moon for help. And the sun and moon are completely inactive. In fact, they freeze in the sky. Can you imagine how discouraging that must have been? I wonder how many of those soldiers at one point or another said, is this day ever going to end? Because their gods were completely inactive, completely powerless. There was no doubt whatsoever that God was fighting this battle for the Israelites. But notice... 
what the Bible goes on to say, there has never been a day like this one before or since when the Lord answered such a prayer. Surely the Lord fought for Israel that day. Now here's the thing. You and I, we're in battles too. Maybe not exactly like what's happening here in Scripture's. But we find ourselves in battles that impact us emotionally. They, they impact our attitude. They impact uh, the choices that we make, uh, the, 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 the choices of morality that we make. Are we going to be godly people who have a good godly attitude? Are, are we going to be the kind of people that make godly choices, godly moral choices in the midst of our battles? Because it's our battles that define who we are. It's, it's not when we're comfortable that we find out who we really are or who we really, really worship or who we really trust and obey. It is in the battles of life that our, that, that our purpose is discovered, that, that we are defined as who we are. Listen, none of us know who we are when everything is going our way. When, when we're getting what we want and, and, and we're getting uh, all, the, all the comforts of life and, and, and what we want to happen is happening, that's not when we find out who we are. We find out who we are when we're in these battles and we know we have our failures that are a part that, that, that we even believe I wouldn't be in this battle if it weren't for that failure. That's how many of us live our lives. We're thinking, I wouldn't be going through today what I'm going through if I had just been a better person in the past. But with our failures, if we give those to the Lord, those failures are never fatal. And God can use those failures to bring about victory in our life just like He's doing right here for Joshua. And these battles, they bring clarity to our life. They bring purpose. And as I think about this, there's three things that I would like for us to consider this morning when we find ourselves in a battle. I don't know where you came from this morning. I don't know what's been going on in your life. Those of you sitting in the room, those of you watching online, I don't know what failures continue to haunt you today. That you think your life, the battle you're encountering right now, that's affecting your attitude, that's affecting your behavior, that that if you could just somehow overcome that failure in the past so that you could have victory today, I'm telling you that's possible if we'll take into consideration these three things that we learn from Joshua's life in this instance. And that is, first, that when you find yourself in a battle, you and I, we must believe the promises of Scripture. And it's uncomfortable. I'm not, I'm not going to stand here and tell you that it is easy to believe the promises of Scripture. When, when you and I were looking at the circumstances of our life, and then we read a promise in God's Word that, that, that goes against the circumstances that, are, that, we're, that we're encountering in our life, that all of a sudden it just becomes really easy and comfortable to believe the promise. It's, it's not. It's always uncomfortable. You know, I, I think of, of Joshua and his men. What, what were they told? Joshua said, do not be afraid of this larger army. Do not be afraid of, of what I'm asking you to do. None of them will be able to stand against you. 
That was the promise Joshua received. Do not be afraid. None of them will be able to stand against you. And then he started pulling his army together. He believed what God said. Even though militarily, even though common sense would have said, Joshua, it doesn't make sense to march all night uphill to take on an enemy that's rested and larger than you. But he believed the promise. Now here's the challenge that you and I have when it comes to believing the promises of God's Word. The greatest challenge that the vast majority of us face is that we don't know the promises. We don't know the promises of God. We don't know what God has in store for us because we don't spend enough time knowing what the Word of God actually says. And so we find ourselves in a battle in life and combine that battle with our past failures and the guilt and the shame and the belief that if we'd have just been a better person in the past, we wouldn't even be going through what we're going through right now. You take all of that, combine it together, and then we don't know the promises of God. We don't know what He's said He wants to do in our life. And many of us at that point, we give up. We give up and we say, what, what's this worth? What is this struggle worth? And that failure becomes our excuse to never move forward with the Lord. That becomes our crutch that we lean on, that keeps us stuck in our walk with God. Joshua could have said, oh Lord, I messed up with the Gibeonites and here they are calling me, pulling me into a fight that I wouldn't even be a part of if I hadn't, if I hadn't made that mistake with the Gibeonites. Oh Lord, it's such a larger army and look, we got to march all night uphill. God, I just don't think we can do it. I don't think we, we're done, Lord. This is as far as we're going. And yet that's how many of us approach our life when we're looking at the failures and the battles that we're being called into. You and I, if we're going to keep a godly attitude, if we're going, if we're going to continue to, to display godly behavior, we must know the promises of God. We must spend time in the Word and let God speak to us. God still speaks to people. God still speaks to people, to those who want to hear Him. He speaks, but we must spend time in the Word. And when you spend time in the Word, you read it, let me tell you what can help you. Discuss it with someone else. Discuss what you read in the Word. Find you a, a friend, a partner, a someone you know, that... that we read the Word and then we talk about what it says. And then, and then you know the two of you, or three of you, or however many in that discussion, are doing what you've read together. That's why we encourage people to get in small groups. It's not just reading the Bible, it's discussing it and then, and then doing it together. And you'll be surprised that in doing that, when we encounter these battles in life, we discover our purpose. The second thing that I would like to point out when we find ourselves in these battles in life between good and evil, 
it is that biblical faith is always supported by obedient actions. Biblical faith is always supported by obedient actions. When Joshua heard that the Gibeonites needed assistance and they were being called into this battle, it's the Lord that comes to Joshua and says, Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Go ahead, go fight them. Not one of them will be able to stand up against you. And Joshua, he believed the promise, obviously, but how do we know he believed the promise? Because he actually went to the battle. And that's, that's how biblical faith works. When we have faith in God that he's going to do something, our actions, our attitudes, and our behaviors reflect that we are trusting that our faith is in God. Notice what happened to Joshua and his men. They, they muster themselves together, and all night long they march uphill several miles. You know they had to be tired. You know they had to grow weary. What kept them going? Well, they kept remembering the promise. God said that when we get there, they will not be able to stand up against us. So they kept marching. And then when they got there, when they made it to the battlefield, as the sun was coming up, what did God do? God sent a panic among their enemies. They started running. And they started chasing their enemies. Then what did God do? God sent a hailstorm and strategically was taking out the enemy. Then what did God do? God extended the day so that they could completely defeat their enemies. God did all of that. But you know what? Even though his power and his presence was completely evident in everything that was happening, it did not exempt them from the smells and the sounds of battle. They still had to go to battle. And the same holds true for you and I. When we find ourselves in the battles of life between good and evil, between what's right and what's wrong, between being faithful and being wicked, yes, we can stand on the promises of God. But listen to me carefully. Standing on His promises doesn't exempt us from being in the battle. We still have to show up. We still have to be there. God will bring it through. He'll move in ways that we can't imagine. But we still have to show up. That's what Joshua and the nation of Israel was learning as they went through this. That yeah, God will show up. But we have to show up too. God has made it His practice to work in such a way that He includes us in what He's doing. Does God need us to do anything for Him? Absolutely not. He doesn't need us. But He, he loves us and He cares about us and He draws us into what He's doing. And that's when you and I get to see Him. That's when you and I get to realize how near and how present he really is. It, listen, any, any soldier that was marching that march that night who gave up and fell out and said, I don't believe it, I'm not going to be a part of it. I, you, you guys go on. You know what that soldier missed? That soldier missed the power and presence of God. Because they didn't show up. Too many times that is our story. We say we believe God, 
But our attitudes and our behaviors do not reflect what we say we believe. And even though God is very present and very powerful, we don't see it. Not because He's not there, but because we didn't show up with Him and get to see what He's doing in our world or in your job or in your family or in your marriage or in your finances. We have to show up. He's already there. As I was thinking about this, I jotted down a couple of things, just some things for us to think about. Without a doubt, if I were to go through this room and ask each one of us in here, does God have the power to help the poor and needy of our world? I would dare say nearly all of us in here would say, yes, absolutely, he has the power to do that. But the fact that he has the power to do that doesn't exempt us from being generous to help with that. Does God have the power to heal people? Absolutely. Absolutely God's got the power to do that. But that doesn't exempt us from showing up and holding their hand and looking into their sick and ill face and being the comfort of God with them. Does God have the power To be light in dark places. Absolutely he does. But that doesn't exempt us from going to those dark places. See, God doesn't work. I mean, God's God. He can do whatever he wants to do. But, but it's been my experience that when God wants to do something great, it's because his people showed up with him. And everyone gets to see what he's doing. Can God overcome evil in our world? You bet he can. But that doesn't exempt us from staring it in the face and standing there and letting him do it. We have to believe the promises and then our actions need to support our faith but there's another thing that you and I can do when we find ourselves in the battles of life we need to remember that bold prayers see the promises fulfilled and it's uncomfortable <laughs> If I want to clear a room, all I got to do is say, let's pray. Now, people are fine if I'm the one that's only going to pray. But if I said, no, 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 we're all going to pray. We're each going to take a turn and pray. 75% of you may not come back next week. Terrified of praying. Terrified to pray out loud. Terrified that someone would hear what we're going to say to God. Joshua prayed a bold prayer. Not only did he pray out loud, he prayed for the impossible. Make the sun stand still. This particular prayer, obviously it was a bold prayer. Obviously it was a God-sized prayer. Only God could do what Joshua was asking. 
But it's important to remember that Joshua was asking for the impossible in the midst of what God had said he was already going to do. There's probably no other miracle in the Bible that falls under as much scrutiny and skepticism as this one. I mean, it's amazing how many pages theologians have wrote on this particular miracle trying to explain what can't be explained. That's why it's called a miracle. Sometimes I don't think we believe God does miracles anymore. Not really. I mean, maybe we think he does them for somebody else. Maybe, maybe he does them for people that live in other places and other towns. Or... And so our prayers reflect that. Our prayers reflect that we... I don't know, really, I'm not going to really ask for that big, bold, God audacious, because I'm not really sure really God does that anyway. And I'm certainly not going to ask it in front of other people. God may not answer. You're right, He may not. He's God, He can do whatever He wants. But He certainly tends to respond better to God sized prayers than to the comfortable prayers we might eke out sometimes. Here's what I find interesting. Joshua was doing exactly what God asked him to do. And he was believing the promises that, that God had given him. And so Joshua, in the midst of doing all this, prayed in the midst of doing what God had asked him to do, he prayed for something only God could do. And then what we find is, is that, I, I, this has kind of been my experience, that, that when God's people are trusting and obeying God, they start praying for things that only God can do. And then it appears that all the universe seems to work in their favor. I don't know if that's ever happened to you, if you've ever been in the zone where you're following the Lord and, and this, for that moment, that, that situation, that circumstance, you are in the zone. You're doing exactly what God wants you to do. And it seems like everything in the universe is working for you as you follow and trust the Lord. That's what's happening to Joshua right here. I mean, the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 8, it says, um, we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to His purpose for them. Everything. He causes everything in the universe to work together for their good. Everything. That's what appears to be happening here to Joshua. But here's what I've noticed about my own life, and, and maybe you could say this too, is, is that the opposite holds true when I'm disobeying the Lord. When I'm not trusting Him and I'm disobeying Him, it appears as though everything in the universe is working against me. Kind of like what happened to Jonah. You guys remember the, the, the Old Testament prophet Jonah? And, and uh, you know, if, it's a short read. If you don't know what I'm talking about, look it up in the Bible. It's a really good short read. But Jonah knew exactly what God wanted him to do. And he said, no, I'm not going to do that. And everything in the universe worked against Jonah. I mean, he got in a storm. He got tossed off a boat. Eventually ended up in the belly of a well. Everything in the universe was working against Jonah. 
because he said, I'm not going to do what the Lord's asked me to do. Well, life feels like that sometimes, doesn't it? When we're not following the Lord and we're not doing what we know we shouldn't be doing, it feels like everything in the universe is working against me. But I'm here to tell you that when we trust the Lord and follow Him, everything works for us too. I don't know what failures haunt you. I just know we all have them. There's not a person sitting in this room or watching online that doesn't have a failure in their past that they don't wrestle with. And they say, if I just hadn't done that, I wouldn't be in this battle today. But God is using that failure and is putting you in that battle so that you might fully understand your purpose in life. To trust Him, to believe Him, Pray bold prayers to Him. It's all coming together. If you'll just turn to Him. This is impossible to do without a relationship with Jesus Christ. I I wish I could tell you there's one little simple prayer you could pray and it all come together. And it doesn't work that way. At least it doesn't work that way for me. It is an ongoing relationship with Jesus Christ. Where consistently I am calling out to him and saying, okay, I I need you to help me understand today what's going on in my life, Lord. So that my attitude can be right, so that my behaviors can be right. In the battles that I find myself in. If you've never called upon Christ to be your Savior, I encourage you to do that. And I want to leave you with a prayer. Maybe this prayer can, can give you and I a language to use when we talk to the Lord. But it says, Father, help me understand the battles in my life. Let me see them as circumstances you are using to increase my faith. Produce a Christ-like attitude in me and give me opportunity to flesh out godly behavior in my circle of influence. Give me a hunger for your word so I can know your promises to me. Teach me to pray those promises for your will to be accomplished in the purpose of my life. Honor where I'm willing to follow you and make me willing where I'm not. I hope that can be your prayer as you follow the Lord this week. God bless you. Thank you for being at Grace Bible Church. Thank you for joining us online. We'll see you next Sunday.